This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 326. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast. I am not your host, Riley Bowman. I am Jacob Paulson. I'm joined today by, I think Riley calls him the producer extraordinaire. Uh, I just call him the really short Marine, Matthew Marister. <laughs> Riley calls me a lot of things, but yeah, thanks. <laughs> so today we're going to have a great time. Me and Matthew are flying with uh, solo without Riley here. He is on the range getting some filming done today for an upcoming product that we'll be launching uh, later this summer. And we're pretty excited uh, about our content today. What happened is um, in Pittsburgh at the United States Missile Carry Association Expo, I gave a presentation titled Five Anti-Gun Policies and Why We Must Say No. And as we got to discussing that, we thought, you know what, this would be a good podcast topic as well. We often get emails from listeners who want us to discuss very specific things. They want us to go into depth on, you know, background checks or gun show loopholes. They want us to talk about magazine capacity limitations or this thing or that thing. And so today's going to be kind of like that, except for we're going to touch on five different proposals. It's going to be a little bit fast and furious, uh, but it's going to be super fun. Yeah. And one thing before we get into it, um, right off the bat, I know, Sean, you mentioned uh, in the comments here, it doesn't matter what you say to anti-gun crowd. They're only going to believe lies anyways. There is a component of or a a segment of people that will only believe lies. Right. You will never change their mind. But there is a big group of people in the middle and those are the people that we're trying to talk to um so you know and this is why this this conversation is going to be really important yeah i'll give you an example i have family members that would meet that qualification matthew right like they're not anti-gun they haven't made up their mind but they're not super pro-gun either and if they were asked to vote on some of these things they'd be like uh explain it to me and if someone explained it you know they'd be like okay yeah that that seems common sense i'm i'll vote for that right and those are the people we need to have articulable artic articulatable is that a word articulable articulable uh, <laughs> reasons why these proposals are no-go. So that's that's what we're going to do today. Now, before we get into it too far, our sponsor today is the ConcealedCarry.com Father's Day Sale. So we have a Father's Day sale. It starts today. It goes through Sunday night at 11.59 p.m., June 16th, 2019. And the short story is we have about 200 and something products that are on sale in, in varying levels of discount. So we have some products that are 15% off, some that are 20% off, and others that are 25% off. And what you can do is you can go to www.concealedcarry.com forward slash Father's Day. And uh, you can right there kind of get a, get the coupon codes for each tier and you can go right to look at all the different products, etc. And you'd be good to go. So check it out, www.concealedcarry.com forward slash Father's Day. All one word, no spaces. And you'll be good to to go. That's that's the story. Yeah. Okay. So guys, let's get into this. Five anti-gun policies and what's, why we may must say no. Now, before we get into the individual five of them, um, there's two I'll call like preface things, Matthew, that I got to get off my chest that I think are really important in this conversation. The first one, and this this is something that someone maybe is, may recall, if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, many, many a moon ago, many an episode ago, I said something. I said, you know, I have a I have a gun control filter. And I'm going to tell you in a second what my filter is, but basically here's, here's the premise. If you are a person who can sit there and tell me there is no legislation out there that in any way reduces your gun rights that you would even consider voting for, then I say you have a problem. Uh, I, I, and I mean that. I, I, and I'm, you know, before anyone freaks out and says, who is this Jacob Paulson guy? We got we to gotta stone him. I want to make sure it's clear. You guys understand that if you're closed off completely to anything at all related to legislation, then you're part of the problem because then no legitimate conversation can take place, right? You have to have some criteria, some method by which you decide if something, if you're okay with a proposal or not. Now, today we're going to show you five that we're not okay with, to be clear. But I think it's important that, that you have to approach every proposal with an open mind. Yeah, and, and because it, 
if if you don't, you're you're addressing it on an emotional level rather than a factual level, and and I like um, how, you know your your kind of criteria that you go your filter, and um, I think that really explains how how you get to the to the meat of like the substance of the argument or the substance of the proposal, right? And by having a filter, you allow other people to also know that because guys, I can't ask someone to listen to me. Like if I'm in a debate with someone. If, if they don't understand that I am open to limiting gun rights under certain conditions, if they don't know that, then why would they listen to me, right? If they think I'm a closed-minded, closed-off, no way, no how, Second Amendment is, you know, means that all guns all the time in all places, then, then why would they even listen to anything I have to say, right? They need to know that I am open-minded. I just have criteria, right? And if I don't have criteria, then I'm no better than anyone else, right? Then I'm, I'm no better than the people who we complain about that are you know, running on emotion. So yeah. All right, Matthew. So let's talk about the filter, at least the Jacob filter and teach their own. But this is the, this is the Jacob criteria by which I uh, analyze gun policy. And it's really simple. There's two things, right? That have to be true. If these two things are true, I would probably vote for it. The first one is the legislation, the proposal has to be likely to effectively decrease violence and death. So if it, if it doesn't do that, it's an, immediately, it's an immediate no-go, right? Like I have to believe that it would effectively reduce violence or death. Right. I mean, why else would you propose it? Right, right. If it, right. If it doesn't do that, like conversation over, I, I'm, not, I'm not in favor, right? Like what's, what's the point here, right? So that's, that's the first one, right? Uh, the second one for me is what I would call the ROI filter, right? In other words, the benefits, those benefits of decreasing violence and death have to outweigh the burden placed on law-abiding gun owners. Mm -hmm. They have to outweigh the burden placed on law-abiding gun owners. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Let's assume that I was uh, Harry Potter and I could wave a magic wand and poof, I could make uh, all guns disappear except for the ones in hands of law enforcement. Okay, only, only the government has guns now. I've, I've waved my magic wand and all bad guys and all civilians don't have guns. Would that decrease gun violence and death, Matthew? Well, in, you know, initially, yes, of course. It probably I would, mean, right? right? Yeah, I mean, it would seem like it would. But it doesn't pass the second filter because the benefits don't outweigh the burden, right? Because you've now decreased my ability to protect myself. Uh, you know, it's no longer an equal playing field because the bad guy or bad gal can come in with a knife and I might have nothing at all. Uh, so that, that's what I mean when I say the Jacob filters, both those things have to be, uh, have to be true. Right. And, and, and that's the thing. And I would, I would add into the, into the second filter is that it should be, um, consistent with the constitution and our, and our laws. Cause if it's unconstitutional, then that, that would be an issue as well. Sure. Though the constitution is a changing document, right? So, <laughs> so I'm a little bit open to the idea that uh, we can change the constitution, but I think that's valid, right? In terms of the current context, does it fit, you know, without breaking the rules? Yeah. Okay. So with that said, one more disclaimer, I got to get off my chest and, and we have had a previous episode about this. So I have to be a little bit cautious. I won't drag this out, but I think we also have to be mindful of the slippery slope. Um, and here's here's where I get stuck on this, guys. And every time I'm in a conversation with gun owners, like our people, I, I I struggle with this because I think that often we believe that anyone who would support these kinds of proposals hates guns and wants to see them eradicated, wants to co- wants to confiscate our guns and do away with the Second Amendment. And that's yeah. just not true. No, not at all. I mean, it's, you know, and we, we talk to a lot of gun owners and, and it might just be out of ignorance, just not knowing really how these laws affect in the long run, or it could be just because it doesn't affect them. Like think about somebody who just hunts. Why would they really be concerned about magazine limit or magazine capacity, right? You know, limits, probably not something on their radar. And if it's proposed or pitched in a way that sounds like it would save lives, they might be like, Hey, it doesn't really affect me. I don't use a magazine in my, you know, hunting rifle. So sure. So there, it might not be coming from an area or a place of let's take all the guns away. It might just be out of ignorance or just, it doesn't directly affect them. So they really don't care. Right. And so we have to, I guess what's important to remember is that 
the majority of people who would support these proposals legitimately believe that that these proposals would decrease violence and death without reducing our gun rights. And so they support them, not with the end in mind that guns will eventually be confiscated, but with the end in mind that they think that these things would work. The slippery slope comes into play when these things don't work, mm-hmm. right? When, they, when these things don't work, whether you knew they wouldn't work and so it was just a means to an end because you are one of those crazy gun confiscation politicians, or if you're just the normal average citizen, which I think represents the majority, and you just legitimately thought this proposal would work and now it doesn't, Either way, it leads us to the next proposal, right? Either way, it takes us down the slope toward eventual confiscation of the gun. And that's the point. And I think it's important when we, when we talk about you know, discussing and arguing and debating over gun control, it's important that we remember that the majority of the people on the other side of the debate, the majority, do not want to take away our guns. That's not the end they have in mind. But we can help them understand that by supporting these proposals, they are trying to lead us down a road that will take away our guns. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Right. All right. Whew. I'm already getting all jazzed up and we haven't even gotten into the issues here. <laughs> all right. So what's the first proposal, Matthew? Yeah. So um, universal background checks. And this is what's kind of basically thrown out by every single politician who says common sense gun laws. And this is the first one, universal background checks, basically requiring um, a FFL transfer of any firearm between one person and another. Um, Many states, what is it? 20 some states, I believe already have universal background checks. Or is that? Well, 12 states have them for all transfers and additional six states for handguns only. So there's 18 states that have some form of universal background check law. Right. So, and so this, so let's go through the first filter. Will it reduce death or, or will this legislation, you know, solve the problem of gun violence? Um, And we see time and time again, that every one of these high profile shootings, the person passes a background check, Um, you know, because the information is either not entered into it. I think um, most of the states don't even enter you know, 70% of their, their felony convictions. Um, so a lot of the information isn't entered in the system. There's false positives in the system. So the system itself is broken and you're relying on this system to be the gatekeeper to whether or not you can purchase a firearm. And, and it just, it doesn't pass the first, you know, the first filter at all. Yeah. Guys, I, I think it's important with each of these five proposals we discussed that you need to understand why the pitch sounds good. Does that make sense, Matthew? Am I making sense? Like, Yeah, yeah. it's a sales pitch. That's basically what the politicians are doing. We have to be sympathetic with the pitch. Like a wise man once told me, he said, in order to win a debate, you need to be able to win both sides of the debate. In other words, you have to know the topic so well, you could argue either side, Mm -hmm. right? And so... The, the pitch for universal background checks sounds really good. And we need to understand why someone would hear it and say, yeah, I'm on board, right? I have family that without a conversation, if they heard the following, if they said, listen, we already asked people buying, <clears throat> excuse me, we already asked people buying a gun from a dealer to undergo a background check by federal law. So why would we allow people acquiring guns via a private transaction to not undergo the same level of scrutiny? Law-abiding gun owners have nothing to lose by having a background check, but forcing all gun transfers to have a background check can keep guns out of the hands of criminals. That pitch sounds pretty dang good, frankly. Like on the surface, it's like, yeah, good point. Yeah, someone could say that's common sense, right? And you're right. like, if, if you don't know what is actually in the details or what constitutes a background check, you know, people are like, well, they're already doing it every, anyways, all the, all the police are putting all their information in here. We have this awesome database. Why not use it? Mm-hmm. They, they just don't know. They just don't know. And that, that's, that's the first point with each of these five things we're going to review today. It's critical to me, guys, that, that, that you listeners, you understand that it, it's, it's also, it's <laughs> trying to think how to say this. It's, it's about understanding that people are sympathetic to the pitch and we have to help them understand why it's more than what it sounds like on the surface. All right. So 
you already mentioned a couple of these things, Matthew. I'm going to go through some of these topics. So, you know, the first one you mentioned, the background check database is broken to begin with, right? According to a NRA uh, video from 2016, uh, 38 states submit less than 80% of their felony convictions to the system. So, so 38 of the 50 states submit less than 80% of their felony convictions to the system. And obviously some of those submit none. So that's why the Sutherland Springs shooter, the Charleston, South Carolina shooter, the Fort Hood shooter, all of these shooters walked into a gun store, should have been denied, but they passed the background check and walked out with a gun, right? They, they, there were things on their record that should have been disqualifiers, but those things were not in the system. And so they passed the background check. That's a problem. That's a problem. Another one you mentioned, and this is uh, from a John Lott study. It's a little bit old, it's from 2011, but 94.2% of denials are false positives. So 94.2% of the time when someone walks into the dealer and he has a background check run and it's denied, 94% of the time, they, sh- it should, they should have passed, right? They should have passed. That's how like not quality the background check system is to begin with. Um, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add one more and we'll go into some more things here. But for me, it just, it just won't stop any gun violence. I have a hard time understanding why we think this will stop gun violence. You know, first time offenders, which most of our mass shooters are all first time offenders, they pass a background check so they can get a gun, right? So a background check only would stop a repeat criminal from getting a gun, someone who's already been convicted of a felony. And those repeat criminals, they can get their guns. They, they can steal them. They can take them from a friend, family. I mean, the, 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 uh, of California, San Bernardino shooters, mm-hmm. where they stopped because they couldn't, no, they just went and had somebody else buy the guns for them, right? So, so we, you know, I don't understand what, what in the world we would think background checks would do to actually stop a repeat criminal, someone who's already been convicted of a felony and now has decided they want a gun. Why would we think this system would stop them from getting a gun? And for first time offenders, it won't stop them. Yeah. In, in, you know, as you're, as you're going through this, I'm shaking my head and I'm like, yeah, right on, right on. I'm reading the comments and of, and this is awesome because Curtis, I mean, he, and I know he listens to the podcast a lot. He comments a lot. He says, I don't see a problem with a background check. I have to be checked when I buy one. Why not everyone? And that is, that's a reasonable thought, right? Like that's exactly what we're talking about. Like it sounds good and reasonable on face value. But as you start to dive into the, 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 the downfalls of relying on the database as, as you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the gatekeeper or what, what's allowed and you see that these, this, the system is flawed and then on top of it, you see how restrictive or how much more, um, you know, makes it more difficult for people to buy a firearm or to purchase a firearm or to get a firearm. So say I want to, you know, I'm flying out to, to shoot at Jacob's uh, range out in California or uh, Colorado. I'm in Ohio. I fly out there. I don't bring my firearm and I want to go to the range and shoot. Well, unless Jacob's there with me, if he wants to give me a firearm for me to go shoot at the range, I have to go to, we have to go to an FFL and transfer it or we're breaking the law. Yeah. Me and Riley run into this problem all the time. We have a gun for testing that some, you know, manufacturer has sent us to test uh, most recently uh, the Springfield XD uh, 10 millimeter. And uh, so I have the gun in my possession. I received it from the dealer. Now I want to hand it to Riley so he can go shoot it. Sorry, <laughs> that's illegal, right? It's illegal for Riley to come to my house, pick up my gun and go to the range and shoot it unless I'm there present or we perform the transfer. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a disaster and, and it's expensive. Let's say we want to do the transfer, okay? Here in Colorado, that means we got to go to a dealer and that dealer has to exert time and energy. They, you know, we would call that a transfer, a private transfer or something, right? And a dealer's charged for that. It ain't free. The, they they got to make money. And for some of them, transfer fees are actually one of their number one money makers. Right. So they're going to charge. And around here, I can tell you, you're doing real well if you can get someone to do it for 25 bucks. More commonly, you're going to pay 40 or $50 just to the dealer for their time. Plus here in Colorado, in a lot of states, there's a fee that goes to the state for the background check. Here in Colorado, it's $15. So, you know, I'm into it 50 to $60 just to let Riley borrow my gun for the day. Yeah. That's a tax. Yeah. And so, so that's number one. I mean, so basically you're, you're making it overly burdensome for somebody to, to purchase firearm in the hopes that 
as Mark uh, in the comments says, uh, the counter argument will be even with the false positives, if it stops one bad guy, isn't that enough? And that's the argument, right? Like, well, you know, we know there's all these problems with it, but if it stops one bad guy from shooting, from getting a gun, isn't that good enough? Well, we have to look, is it overly burdensome? Does it keep somebody, let's say, um, my sister is a victim of domestic violence and she can't get a firearm because um, she has to wait three days to to purchase a firearm, but her husband is out on, her boyfriend out on parole and she's scared to death of him. And I want to give her a firearm for protection. I can't do that. So, you, you know, you, and, and there, there are people, these types of laws that add steps and taxes and money to purchase a firearm basically what it, it, it hurts poor people the most. It hurts people that don't, that are maybe in a bad position where they can't afford to move. They can't afford security systems or gated communities. So these people are the ones that want to go to the pawn shop and get a, get a firearm for cheap or want to get one from their brother or something like that. And so these people are more at risk of not being able to, to purchase a firearm because of a $40 tax. Maybe to, to, you know, most of the listeners, $40 is, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but you know, when you have to buy a $200 gun and that's all you can afford and you throw a $40 tax on, it might start to become overly burdensome. So we kind of weigh that, you know, um, we know that about 2 million people, um, on average, right. Are saved by firearms each year. Is that, that's about correct. Oh, I think it's low. Uh, I mean, that it depends on the research you say you see, but it, it's a it's a significant number. Right. So let's say let's say that's on the low. Let's say it's high. Let's say it's one million. Let's say it's a thousand. Um, if it, 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 it you know, let's say a thousand people are saved by guns a, a year, and that's you know very very low. Does it outweigh the potential of stopping one bad guy who might get a gun potentially in the future? I don't. I don't think it does. Yeah, I, um, for me, it doesn't pass the filter of will it reduce gun violence or death. I, I just don't think it will correct. actually stop any criminals intent on doing harm from getting a gun. And, and does it create a burden on gun owners that outweighs any potential ROI? It for sure does. It makes uh, guys here in Colorado. We had an issue recently where a police department seized a gun from a gun owner determined there was no fault, went to return the gun to the gun owner, realized they couldn't because they had to meet the gun owner at a dealer and run it back. The police department was unable to legally give a gun back to a gun owner, right? Like that's the kind of burden we're talking about. Now, here's, here's my last thought on this one. We'll move on to the next one. <clears throat> the law is impossible to enforce without firearm registration. Mm-hmm. It can't be done. Right, so let's just say that me and Riley break the law and I hand him that Springfield XD and say, hey, dear, just go take this range and have a good day. And the police grab Riley on the way to the range and they're like, where'd you get this Springfield? Right, Is it, was it transferred to you legally? And he's like, yep. How would they prove otherwise? They can't unless guns are registered, unless there's a database that shows this, this gun's serial number is associated with this Jacob Paulson dude which doesn't exist, thank goodness, unless that exists, they can't prove Riley broke a law or that I broke a law. So if you pass universal background check laws and then you find out they're not working, what are you going to do? You're going to say, well, they don't work because we can't enforce it. So we need, to, we need registration. So that's that slippery slope part of this particular argument. This particular policy has to lead to registration because without it, the law is completely unenforceable. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 in the, the registration thing is probably the scariest thing to any gun owner, right? Like I, I think, um, and that's where all these laws end up leading to because you need a registration to enforce most of this stuff as you'll see as we move on. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's move to the second one. Uh, what is, what is our next proposal, Matthew? Uh, red flag laws or gun violence restraining orders or extreme risk violence, whatever the new fad of the day. Most of them are called red flag laws. Um, I think it's 16 states. Is that right? Jacobs mm-hmm. yep. have some, some form of red flag law, which allows law enforcement to, you know, proactively or uh, before a crime is committed based on 
credible evidence in this or credible statements. And this is, it varies from state to state, but it could be as far as a third party or some of them are immediate family members. It, it varies, but a statement that somebody may very well in the future commit a crime and they have firearms and this, these laws allow a, a uh, the police to go seize firearms without any due process of law um, and take these firearms from that person without without them even being able to say, hey, hold up, like this is, I, I'm not a risk. This person is making this up. Well, we'll give you a hearing in, you know, a couple weeks. In the meantime, just sit back and let us take your constitutional rights away. You haven't committed a crime. You're a totally good person, but we're just going to, you know, uh, uh, we're going to take this person's word and take your guns. That's yep. basically what these things do. Now, here's here's the pitch, and this this is why it sounds pretty good on the surface. This this is what the, this is what the people who want to pass these laws are saying. Okay, <clears throat> listen very closely. Hey, when someone becomes a risk for gun violence but has yet to commit any crime, we have an important window of opportunity to seize that person's guns before they commit the crime. Their family mm-hmm. members or members of law enforcement should be able to report the risk so that individual firearms can be seized right away. After that initial seizure, we will give them an opportunity to present their side of the story in court for the possibility of getting their firearms returned to them. So good, honest, uh, you know, innocent uh, gun owners should have nothing to fear because if they are really not a risk, then they're going to get their guns back. That's the pitch. And, yeah. and again, on the surface, you got, no matter how much you think that's ridiculous, to some degree, you've got to at least be sympathetic with how that sounds, with why someone could hear that and say, yeah, I, I'm good for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and because, listen, I think if we were honest, we would say legal gun owners or responsible gun owners don't want, we have, we have a big problem with suicides, right? In the United States. And the vast majority of suicides, I think 65% last, it might've changed, but around there are committed with firearms. And so, yes, there is a, there is an issue with, um, you know, people that may be suicidal, maybe turn homicidal, um, you know, with firearms. Absolutely. So we say, yeah, sure. I I don't want my, if my brother has firearms in his home and I know he's suicidal, I'm going to go over there and talk to him and be like, Hey man, let me take your guns while you're going through this and and that. I don't think that that's not great. You know, I think that's totally reasonable. And I think most of us would, would agree. The question is, is do these laws go violate, you know, you know, outweigh the, the risk of them being abused by vindictive people or the police not being able to adequately vet the information coming in, do they outweigh the, the, the risk? And I think, and I mentioned this earlier, that they are totally opposite of the Constitution. They violate um, the, the Fourth Amendment, the search, search and seizure, Fifth Amendment. Fourteenth um, Amendment. Yep. Yeah. I mean, due process of law, everything, it just it wipes it away. And so that I think is is a big problem. Yeah, a couple of people in the comments are saying that there was already a movie with Tom Cruise that showed how this doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> that minority, minority, yeah. Report. So, uh, guys, I, before we get into some of the more details on on the red flag, let me just again reiterate something or say something differently than I've said up till now. If I'm in a, and I just came back from a family reunion by the way, 26 people sitting in one house talking about stuff and guns comes up when, you know, I'm in your family. And if, if someone says something about one of these kind of proposals, they say, Jacob, well, what do you think about this? You need to know that the first words out of my mouth are not, that's lunatic, that's ridiculous, no way. The first words out of my mouth are always something like, well, if I felt that that would save lives, I would, I would support it. Right. If I felt that would save more lives than it costs, I would support it. And by saying that, I immediately communicate some really important things to someone. I communicate that I don't think it will save lives, which they need to know. But I also communicate that I'm on the same, I'm on board with you. Like I also want to save lives. Like I am not some heartless, ruthless, crazy gun owner who wants dead people to die in schools. You know, like that's not my thing. So anyway, for whatever that's worth, guys, understand that we got we to gotta let people know that we have good reasons, but those reasons are within the context that we do want to save lives. We just don't think this will do it. 
So anyway, a little bit of a tangent there. Yeah. And I would also add just real quick that um, most, most people know, or if you don't, um, there are, each state has a provision that allows officers to take people into custody, even against their will, if they're shown to be a, a, a threat to themselves or others. And it has to be, it has to be observable or it has to be credible uh, first party account from a family member or a roommate or somebody. And the, the officer at that point has to make a decision on the spot. So this is a little bit different than um, these red flag l- orders because a lot of people will, will tie them together and say, well, you know, we can take uh, custody of people and put them in, in a, in a cons- in, you know, a hospital to be evaluated. Of course we can do that. Um, but it has to be made based on information right then and there that the officer can validate. It's not just somebody coming to the police department saying, this person's a, a risk to themselves or others. I, I heard them say they might commit suicide and the police just go out and with, you know, without confirming anything, just snatch them up. That's, that's not how it works. So that's different. Yeah. yeah. So, and if you are, you know, held on a 51 or held on a, on a hold like this, um, then a lot of times if you're committed, then yes, the, the levers start to move to remove your firearms, but it's not initially like everything happens right away. So there are some checks along the way to make sure that this, this hold was, was done correctly. And yes, this person is a threat. So right. it, it's important to understand the difference. Yeah. I, so I, I have up here kind of our, our core arguments. We've touched on several of these, but I'll just quickly summarize real quickly again. So the red flag laws remove the individual of due process, presumption of innocence, the right to face the accuser, and to present evidence in one's defense. Like I am open to removing people's constitutional rights under certain circumstances, right? Like we put people in jail, they have virtually no constitutional rights. So obviously, yes, I, I am open to the idea that some constitutional rights can be waived or taken from people under certain circumstances, but I don't think this passes that kind of criteria, that kind of, that kind of you know, proper uh, barrier when they've not done anything wrong and we're basing you know, all of, we're stripping people of 5th, 14th, and, 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 fifth, you know, and, and Second Amendment rights all in one sweep. It's just, I don't get it. <laughs> and think, think about the guy, if it's you, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is has nothing it hasn't done anything wrong sitting in their house gets a knock on the door cops are there say hey we're seizing all your guns you're like wait a second you know that is enough let if you're not suicidal or homicidal but let's say that you are and you see police coming to your door now you've just escalated the situation where somebody may not be like they might have just said some things to get attention well now they're kind of push to the brink. And if they have any sort of mental, you know, stuff at all, and they start seeing police surrounding their house and stuff, it might be, that might be the trigger that causes the violence that may have never began in the first place. Nice pun, dude. You know how you use the word trigger there? That was great. Ah, I didn't even pick that up. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote it this way. Isn't it a distinct possibility that cops showing up and attempting to take away someone's guns might set them off immediately or in the immediate future? I mean, it like, could. I try to understand. Like, you think I'm going to go shoot up a school full of kids, so you show up and take away all my guns. And what do you think I'm going to do now? Sit back and say, "Oh, I, they're on to me. I better not do that anymore." And 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 your your information is not going to hit the Nick system in time for you not to be able to go. Okay, Just go buy take, a gun tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, take these guns. I'm going to go down to the store and pass a background check because it won't be hit the Nick system in time. And I'll pass the check, the background check. And once again, this shows that the universal background check law wouldn't stop this person. So you're, you're, you're basically adding fuel to a fire that didn't need to be lit in the beginning. And you're, you're putting up these checkpoints that cannot be, cannot stop the person. It, it, it's just a bad, I think it's a, it's a really bad way to go about um, uh, helping people with mental illness because they're going to be really scared to go get help. They're not going to want to get help. They're, you know, if they have issues and they have firearms, they're going to be like, ah, I'm, I'm not going to trust the doctors. I'm not going because they're going to come and take away my guns and all this. And it really, I think it exasperates. It's counterproductive. Uh, yep. The problem. yep. It has the opposite effect of what it's intended to have. And, and we had a, was it Maryland or Massachusetts? Like the two states are like the same state to me. It's kind of like Kentucky and Tennessee. They're both the same state in my world. Um, but in one of those states, Massachusetts or Maryland, we had some uh, cops show up to enforce one of these orders. And guy started shooting at the cops. A cop yeah. got shot. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
which proves that that person was a danger, but it, it doesn't mean we needed this process to do something about it. To your point, Matthew, there are already laws in place that allow law enforcement to take action when there's a credible and immediate threat. We've I'm familiar with the term probable cause. I don't have a badge, but I'm I'm pretty familiar with the idea that we already allow law enforcement when they have legitimate reason, right? Probable cause to believe that this person is a threat to themselves or others. They can take action already. So in my world, red flag laws are essentially superfluous and counterproductive. I don't yeah. I don't get it. <clears throat> All right. My last thought on this is that, and this is going to sound like a broken record, you're going to notice there's a theme across these policies. Guess what? This one is also impossible to enforce without registration. If you get a, 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 a red flag order on Jacob Paulson, you come over to my house right now to seize all my guns. How in the world are you going to get all my guns? You don't know how many I have, which ones I have, or where I keep them in the house. Because there are currently no laws that, that, that require that they be registered in any sort of database. So we're going to go pass all these laws, and then what? We're going to find out. We're going to find out that they don't work. Uh, one day, cops are going to show up, seize half of someone's guns. They're going to claim that's all of them. And then we're going to have a huge hoop and say, oh, we've got to have registration, or else this red flag thing we passed doesn't work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just not – it doesn't – makes sense it sounds good it and and that's the the whole point of the you know the podcast is it sounds good and it sounds like you know our hearts are in the right place and it's going to save lives but when you start analyzing it and you know what's crazy jacob is like i have these conversations with a lot of my family members and a lot of people and they say you know what why don't i ever hear this on the news like why doesn't anybody explain this to people like i don't i don't hear any politicians saying this and this goes back to we as as gun owners we have a really bad problem with getting our message out there and educating people on on the issues and and we we kind of resort to like the like I said earlier like the bumper sticker you know it's it's my right it's it's it you know second amendment is is my my permit and stuff like that and there's nothing wrong with those catchy things but it really doesn't get our message across and let people know why the, these things are so bad yeah yeah and i think that's I mean, we want you to be armed with with good arguments that you can articulate about why these policies are bad. But the, for me, the, the biggest thing that me and Matthew are trying to communicate in this episode today is that you you need to approach this from a way of, of logic and clarity. You need to make sure you find the common ground with these people, which is that we also don't want people to die. We also want to save lives. But we, we, we feel there are legitimate reasons that you may not be aware of why these proposals won't work and, in fact, cause more harm than good, right? And so, anyway, yeah. What's the next one, Matthew? Next one would be magazine limit restrictions. Yep. So, currently, 16 states have some form of magazine capacity limitations, right? Some, some sort of law that limits the number of rounds you can have in a mag or the types of mags you can purchase or acquire or something along those lines, depending on, on the specific state. I also live one of those. Uh, Colorado, man, I live in most of these. So I have universal background checks. We have red flag laws and I have a magazine capacity limitation. So, so far, all three of the policies we're, we've discussed, um, are, I'm subject to here in my home state. Ugh. Okay, so magazine capacity limitations. Let me give the pitch and then uh, we'll let you jump into it, Matthew. So here's the pitch. Law-abiding citizens have no need for guns that can hold more than 10 or 15 rounds, not for hunting, not for self-defense, and not for any other legal purpose. That kind of firepower is only needed for murder and violence. Making these high-capacity guns or magazines illegal will reduce the capacity for violence. That's the pitch. Yeah. So let's hit the first wicket. Okay. So will this reduce um, deaths? Um, I have not seen any, any statistic that shows that mass shootings had the person had um, one 30 round magazine versus three 10 round magazines that it would have been less dangerous or that the, the, the you know, the amount of deaths or injuries would have been less if they would have three 10 round magazines versus one 30 round. I just, I, I haven't seen it. In fact, I've seen many, many uh, instances where that is opposite, where, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it hasn't shown that the, the person bringing higher, high capacity magazines has done 
has it has affected it whatsoever. Um, most of the time, people come to these these shootings with more than one firearm, so they're not performing magazine changes. They're using multiple firearms. They shoot, they run out, they throw it because they don't care. It's not like you know we think about magazine changes as like how we would perform them, right? Like we're in a gunfight and we're going to perform a gun, you know, magazine change because we carry extra magazines and we want to, you know, uh, keep our firearm. And, and But people that have a homicidal mindset or a suicidal mindset that are going to commit these crimes, they're not concerned about the aftermath. They're concerned about how do I kill people? And if I can carry four guns and fill them all up with, you know, max them out, and I dump the guns, what is the, what's the problem? Because I'm going to get killed at the end anyways, or I'm going to get arrested. And they, so they pick the time and place. They can bring exactly. whatever they want. We only get to have what's on us. Right. right? And it's, so it, it, the first wicket, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't pass. It doesn't pass. You know, so guys, here, here's, here's for me. Here's four reasons why I believe legitimately this, these laws do not stop any gun violence. Okay, number one, criminals can still get, they can still get them, right? They can steal them or they could make them themselves. I mean, how complex do you think a magazine is in, in terms of manufacturing process? You can 3D print it and darn near make a spring out of a coat hanger. I mean, it wouldn't be a very effective magazine. <laughs> but they're not complex, right? It, it doesn't take massive skills to build one, uh, certainly not to steal them either. Right. And there's probably millions of them, uh, it, or not probably, there are already millions of them out there. So uh, the person wow. who potentially could probably already has many of them already. Oh, over a million of them were just sold to California in like a 10 day period, like a month or something ago. Right. So, so there's plenty of them out there uh, yeah. and they're not hard to maintain or to update. <clears throat> it takes less time than most people think to reload. That's another one. I think, I think that people perceive, you know, that, oh, well, if they have to reload in the middle of this mass crime, then, you know, we're going to be able to jump on them and fight them and take them down and stuff. It doesn't happen. Uh, reload's not that, I mean, even a really like fundamental crappy reload can be done in under five seconds. I mean, Matthew, how long does it take you to do a reload? Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe a second, second and a half. I right. mean, and that, and right. you're a skilled shooter. So, so a real idiot can still get it done in five seconds or less. And, and a funny thing, I, I got to tell you, it's going to be hard to believe me, but in a mass shooting in an active shooter situation, when the bullets start flying, I promise you, I know it's hard to believe, but all the innocent people, none of them sit there and count rounds and wait for a pause. They all do the same thing, run. Mm -hmm. They all run. Unless they have the ability to counteract the violence with their own violence, they just run. None of them like take cover and, and count shots. And, and yeah, and in those situations, and that's a good point because some people will say, well, you know, we, we counteract violence with violence and, and if that person's reloading, but the, 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 they're missing the idea that if you are in a situation where you've made the decision, I'm going to uh, um, rush the person who's shooting, you're not going to hide out and wait till they, till they change magazines because you must act immediately because you're not going to allow them to continue to shoot and shoot and shoot. And then hopefully they change magazines. You're going to assault the, 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 the violence with violence. And those people that most of the time do that, it's either a group or it's a couple people and one or two ends up dying or, or, you know what I mean? Because they can't wait, they don't wait. It, it's, it's so these, these ideas that like, you know, I'm going to wait till they, you know, they, they change magazines and then I'm going to rush them and I'm going to take them out. It's, it's kind of uh, massively. Yeah. yeah. I'll give you two quick examples just that might be relevant to the conversation. One is recent, just in the last four weeks, we had a school shooting here in Colorado at the STEM school shooter shows up, walks in a classroom, pulls out a gun, tells everybody not to move immediately. Three students jump out of their desks, charge the shooter. Now all three of them took shots. One of them died, two were wounded, but it was an immediate counteraction. And that's, that's, that's what kind of violence you have to respond with. I'll give you one more interesting one that's relevant. This is the only instance I'm aware of ever in an active shooting where people have charged the shooter during a mag reload. And it's the, uh, the uh, Arizona, uh, what's Tucson? Tucson, Arizona shooter, uh, the Giffords thing outside of a grocery store. Dude came with multiple 30 round or 33 round mags for his Glock. And he finishes his first mag and he dumps it and he goes to perform a reload and he failed the reload. He dropped the, the spare mag and it went to the ground. And that's when a couple of people charged him, jumped him and the shooting was ended. The violence was ended. But it wasn't because 
they waited for a reload and there was enough time between it was because the guy fumbled the reload and it's ironic that he brought 32 rounds so you can interpret that however you want on either side the point is it's the only one there's not like that's the only example you have to go on uh, where it's even a viable possibility so yeah i call that i call it bs on that uh, and, and you already mentioned this one, Matthew, but even if you magically make big magazines disappear, criminals will just bring multiple firearms and magazines to the fight. You know how many guns the Las Vegas guy had? I don't remember, but it was more than a dozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Parkland shooter, 10-round mags is the only thing he used. He just had a backpack full of them. Uh, right. It's just the nature of the beast. And, and here's a really interesting one, and, and some people may not know this, but we already tested this. This happens to be one of those proposals where we have track record because from 1994 to 2004, we had a federal law, a 10-year ban on high-capacity magazine, high magazines nationwide. And not a single study from anyone ever has been interpreted such that it would imply that it had any impact on violent crime or gun crime. No one has even attempted to show that it was affected, that 10-year ban. Yeah, because it, it, because it isn't. It's painfully obvious that it isn't. Um, these are just those things that sound good. On, you know, it sounds good. It makes your heart nice. Like, oh, we're doing something. We have, we must do something. And so, you know, but it doesn't work. And plus, think, think about this. Somebody comes to your home and they have either that violated the law by obtaining high capacity magazines, right? Or they come to your home to, to do your harm with multiple firearms and you're stuck with a five round magazine or whatever the arbitrary limit is that it's safe, right? Like one round, three rounds. I don't know what is because it's all arbitrary, right? These high capacity is arbitrary. So let's say it's five rounds. You have a five round magazine. These people have 30 round magazines and multiple guns. Who do you think is at a disadvantage? the legal gun owner who's defending their family is at a huge disadvantage. Not to mention all of these magazine capacity limitations, the police are exempted from them. Why? Because they make no sense and they make the person more vulnerable to the attacker. So if you look at the police, if the, I'll just put this out there. If you look at a policy that strips a certain right from the, the, the citizen, the legal law-abiding citizen, and not the police, you have to ask why. And some of it, you know, is reasonable. Police have certain powers, but arresting powers and things like that. But a a law like this is so on its face value bad that even the police would would say, no, this is is bogus. This is not good. Yep. So I would summarize that thought this way. We, we shouldn't support legislation that decreases our ability to defend our own families. Reducing the number of rounds you can carry in the gun clearly reduces your effective ability to defend yourself. Contrast the criminal who prepares for their crime, can pick the place, the time, and bring however many guns, magazines, and ammunition to the fight with the law-abiding citizen who has to react with a sudden threat with whatever they can quickly access and deploy. It's, it's absolute insanity. And, and I got one last thought on this one, and then we can move on. And that is that the idea of what is standard and what is high capacity is arbitrary. It's mm-hmm. completely arbitrary. Uh, I mean, what's the number going to be? Is it 15? Is it 10? Is it seven? The New York sure. Safe Act, you know, put, put the number at seven. Like, how are we going to determine what is reasonable? It's, it's completely arbitrary. And so any conversation that even touches on the idea of magazine capacity limitations to me is dangerous and bad. Yeah, agreed. No bueno. All right. Whew. Taking a breath. <laughs> Trying to calm down. What's the next one? The next one is the assault rifle ban. That These assault rifles um, are so dangerous and they're only made for military and killing and no citizen needs to have an assault rifle. Yep. So there are currently 10 states that have partial or full bans on, and we're using in quotes here, assault weapons. And for the purpose of this conversation, guys, certainly know that we're just, we're using the terms that are being used in the proposals, in the legislation, in the media. So we're, you know, me and me and Matthew are very clear on what is and what isn't an assault weapon. Uh, So, so, you know, no hate mail required, but these are the terms that are used in the media. These are the terms that are used in, in, in the proposals, right? So here's the pitch on this one. The pitch is, Law-abiding citizens have no need for guns that were designed for killing people. These rifles fire at a rate faster than is needed for any sport or hunting or self-defense. They're extremely accurate and were designed for military use. That's the pitch. 
Yeah, totally dumb on many levels. I mean, I, the, the thing is, is how do you know when, when people say you, they fire at a high rate of speed? Well, what is they don't even know. They won't even quantify that, right? Like, what is too high? I'll tell you, if somebody's, if I'm a victim of a home invasion and they're shooting at me, I don't have a limit at a high, I don't have too high of a limit rate of fire. As long as I have ammunition, my rate of fire is perfectly good as long as I'm on target, right? Like, I'm not going to say, well, I'm firing a little bit too fast, so I'm going to slow it down. These guys are shooting at me. No, no. I mean, your rate of fire is whatever it needs to be. So, I mean, it's, it's just bogus. And these, in an AR-15 is not carried in any, any military in the world. It's just not. Um, it, they're they're semi-automatic rifles. Um, they 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 are very accurate, which is a good thing. They're very light and easy to use, which are good things. Um, it, it's just it's it's on so many levels. This it, it's so arbitrary because they're looking at banning something based on how it looks. So you change a modify, you change the way the stock looks, or you take away a foregrip. And all of a sudden now this, this rifle that is so dangerous and all these military, you know, it's only made for military, you take away the foregrip and now it's okay. That does it makes no sense. It makes, it's based on people who have no idea what a firearm is, never looked at a rifle. And they're the ones that are saying, putting possible, you know, uh, modifications, chainsaws and all that stuff. That's how that, that's how that happens. Cause they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Completely idiots. Yeah, it makes no sense. Guys, uh, here's a couple interesting little points for you. Uh, and these are reasons why I think that this proposal will not reduce gun violence or death in any way, right? So first, in case you're unaware, um, according to the FBI 2016 Uniform Crime Statistics Study, of all gun homicides in America, 6% are committed with a long gun, a rifle of any form. That includes bolt-action rifles, shotguns, carbines, whatever. of the total are committed with the long gun. So I have a hard time believing that if we get rid of carbine rifles, semi-automatic carbine rifles like AR-15 variants, that even even if we reduced it by 6%, I don't know that it would be worth it, but I don't think we'd reduce it by 6% because I have a hard time believing that someone's going to say, dang it, I guess I can't go commit this gun homicide now because I don't have a carbine. Crap. I guess I'll be a good guy now. Yeah. I can't get a semi-automatic shotgun, right? Yeah, I can't get a semi-automatic shotgun or even a pump. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's just ludicrous. Um, and, and I'll just throw it out there to shoot it in just in case somebody's just listening to it now. I mean, if this proposal saved lives, if this proposal would, you know, all of a sudden turn around, stop school shootings and and, you know, then I would be for it. I mean, if it legitimately did that and didn't infringe on our rights and didn't overly burden uh, legal law-abiding gun owners, I'd be like, sure. But it does none of those and it burden overburdens. It's, a, it's, it's ridiculous and it's not based on any sort of fact. So I'm against it. That's right. It just doesn't, it doesn't, guess. doesn't make any sense. Uh, I saw a newspaper clipping uh, recently from someone in some, some anti-gun coalition group in Virginia that basically said, hey, you know, we've been going about this all wrong. We've been trying to get rid of these assault, assault rifles, but this recent shooting in Virginia was done with a handgun, and the guy was just as proficient and just as deadly. Clearly, what we need to get rid of is semi-automatic, all semi-automatic guns, you know, that these gun owners Correct. can just do with their, you know, hunting bolt-action rifles or something. I, I don't know what they're going for. So here's another one. Guys, Again, this is one where we have data. We have the track record from 1994 to 2004. There was a 10-year ban on such rifles, okay? There was no evidence to suggest it decreased gun crime at all. We already tried this for 10 years, and nobody was, has been able to show any data that, that suggests in any way that it's effective. So yeah. that's a deal breaker for me. Uh, and, and to your point, Matthew, and I think this is a really critical key, Again, I said it before, we should not support legislation that decreases our ability to defend our own families unless it's a massive ROI, right, that that outweighs the benefit. But there's no benefit, so it doesn't outweigh squat. A a carbine rifle is arguably the most effective tool to defend oneself from any violent threat precisely because it's very accurate, easy to use, and reliable. I mean, all those things that they they say make this a bad tool, I'm like, yeah, that's why I have it. (laughs) 
like it's it's the best tool yeah it's it's funny and, and yeah it, it's funny i just i i it, while you're talking it makes me think back i just shared uh, a video a while back about joe biden and when he was talking about why people don't need ar-15s in, for their home defense and he's telling people to buy a shotgun and go out on their balcony and shoot rounds into the air and that'll make everybody run away and stuff it's 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 crazy. I mean, when you think about what these people truly believe, it, it's and like we said, some people are just so out there that they hate guns. They 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 do not want guns around them. They don't want they don't want you to have a gun. They don't want me to have a gun. Everything we get it. There are people in there that that want. They don't necessarily have a problem with guns, but they think that there is a problem violence with guns, and they think that these types of of legisl this type of legislation will work because it makes them feel good, and they really don't understand how a gun works or why these things don't work. And once again, that's who we're trying to we're trying to you know formulate these arguments for those people so they say, yeah, you know what, that's right. What would work? You know, what can we do? Instead of, well, we got to do something, so ban an AR-15 or, you know, ban 15-round magazines. Yep. So. Which, which I think brings us to my final point on this one, and that is that defining the thing we are banning is the most dangerous slippery slope of all. Uh, because ultimately, it has to lead to the ban of all semi-automatic firearms. It's the only way. Because every other ban that any state has tried or has in place right now has been loopholed. All of them. Every time a state or the federal government has tried to ban these things, they've failed to ban them because there's no way to really define what it is that is illegal without just outright you know, banning all semi-automatics, which so far no one has really proposed that kind of legislation in any degree of seriousness because they know it wouldn't pass. But the closer you can get us to it, the more you can convince us that you know, the current proposals aren't working because we haven't gone far enough, right? So let's go one step further. So yeah, you, you just can't define the thing that you want to get rid of. Yeah. And there's so many ingenuity. Americans are, are, are pretty, you know, creative people. And every time there's a, been a ban, there's just a little tweak that circumvents the ban and shows how ridiculous the ban actually is. Yeah. So. All right, our last one, number five, required secure firearm storage. So currently 11 states have some form of law that requires you store your firearms a certain way, okay? So here's the pitch. Uh, the pitch is way too many gun deaths are brought about because someone who shouldn't have access to a gun gains access with the intent to commit suicide, harm others, or for entertainment or negligent fun. Owning a gun is a responsibility and having a negative consequence for failing to store a firearm legally is the best way to incentivize gun owners to act responsibly. Again, I could be somewhat sympathetic with that pitch. Just the way that sounds, the way that's worded, I'm like, hmm, yeah, kind of sounds good. But under the surface, yeah. we have some problems. Yeah, especially if you if you slide this in after a report of, you know, a child who finds a gun and kills themselves in the home, right? Like you, you, you lead with that story and then you have a politician come up and say, what are we going to do? We are going to do this. And everyone's like, yep, it makes sense. You know, we're going to force um, people to be reasonable. And when, where, where has ever a law been made that has forced people to be reasonable? It doesn't because people have to be reasonable on their own. Right. So there are reasonable gun owners, there's responsible gun owners, and there's irresponsible gun owners. Even if you had these required storage laws, unless somebody is there over observing you constantly, if you're if you're not a, a responsible person, you're not going to you're not going to abide by the, the law. Right. Like they're going to come in and you have to, you know, if for this to work right? We have to go through universal background check or we have to get universal background checks and a registry. And you have to give up your fourth amendment right to unusual, uh, unreasonable searches and seizures because the, in order for this to work, the police have to be able to come into your home and inspect. And so what I would say is they're going to say, well, we'll give you two days notice to, to come in and inspect and make sure that you have the correct safe and all this stuff. Okay. Well, what if they start seeing that people are still being irresponsible with their firearms and kids are still dying, even with this law, what would be the next step? Well, I would say that the only logical next step would be to allow the, the police to come at any moment, 
right? Because if you're prepping for them to come, of course, you're going to put your gun away. Of course, you're going to have it all set up. So they're going to say, that's not working. Let's allow the police to come in at any time and, and pop in and just, hey, we're just here to check your safe, guys. Oh, wait, what? You know, so I, I think these laws are so difficult to enforce that it requires so much. And trust me, I am one that believes that if you don't have the firearm on you, and it's not in a you know it's set up for home defense in sort some sort of you know safe or quick access safe or something like that. If you have children in the home, it absolutely should be locked up. I believe that, but I don't believe putting a law or making a law that requires gun owners to jump through certain hoops to meet certain requirements of safes and things like that. I don't think that that is going to save lives. I think education and telling them why and giving and, and letting them know there are quick access safes, there are ways that you can get your act, your gun quickly and still have it secured. I think that will save far more lives than a stupid storage requirement law. Yeah, my I, personal preference. And I think I'm, I'm on record as well. If you've listened to the previous 325 episodes of this podcast, you know very well that I feel very strongly that firearms should be generally secured um, with very few potentially reasonable ex- exceptions. But um, requiring it leaves a lot of room for arbitrariness, right? Like, okay, if we're going to require firearm storage, exactly what's going to be required? Like, who's going to decide how secure my gun has to be secured? You know, who's going to say that, oh, sorry, that that particular staging mechanism you're using doesn't have a strong enough lock or that's not thick enough steel or wood or, um, sorry, anyone walking through the room could see that's a gun safe, even though it's locked up. It needs to be disguised and, you know, paint it like it's a tree. I don't know. You know, like there's just way too much arbitrary room for for some idiot in, in some I shouldn't say idiot, for someone who's uninformed about firearms and defensive gun use to determine how securely stored something has to be. And so mm-hmm. that it's another arbitrary problem, similar to what I, I said about magazine capacity. Like, who's going to decide how, how big of a magazine I can have? Well, who's going to decide how secure my gun has to be? Yes, we should all be responsible gun owners, but we need to do that within the context of our own situations, and we need to do it based on uh, education that we receive, not some sort of punitive action if we, if we, if we neglect to follow those rules. And, and I think you, you brought up the bigger and probably most important point, and we could end on this, Matthew, as far as these five proposals, and that is that these laws are impossible to enforce without both firearm registration and the availability of immediate home inspections, which, by the way, is exactly what's being done in many of the states where they have storage laws. New York City, California, Maryland, Massachusetts, Hawaii. I mean, if you live in New York City, you're subject to the police showing up at any time to check your your home to see where the guns are. They know the list of the guns you have uh, because it's required to register them all. And they have very specific requirements about the guns and the ammo, how much ammo you're allowed to have, how it's stored, all of that. And if that's the kind of state we want to live in, cool. That's that's a scary thought. I I am not down with that. No way, no how. No way. I mean, as a police officer, that was one of the things I always, I mean, when I went into somebody's home, I really understood the gravity of uh, of what it meant as a police officer to go into somebody's home because that is your home. I mean, you police should not go into somebody's home unless, you know, exigent circumstances, reasonable, uh, uh, articulable facts. But I mean, it is such a big thing. And, and to take somebody for doing something completely legal, protected by the constitution, a stand up citizen in every other respect. And, and let, let me, let me just close on this with, with this part. Who do you think is, this is going to affect the most? Who do you think is going to be subject to most of these searches? High people, high class people that, you know, go to all the pay political campaigns or living gated communities. I doubt it. I think this is probably going to be mostly enforced on people in inner city areas, apartment buildings, things like that, where you know, we already know there's crimes going on in there. They probably have dope in there or something. We'll use this as a ruse to go in there. So I, I think that this is going to be applied uh, in proportion, you know, not proportionally and uh, affect people that should not be uh, affected by it. So, yeah, it doesn't, uh, not down. Well, there you have it, guys. There's five anti-gun policies and why we must say no. 
We talked about, see if I can name them all, universal background checks, magazine capacity limitations, red flag laws, assault gun bans, and mandatory storage laws. So those are five things that do not pass the Jacob filter. And I encourage you to become very familiar with each of those specific uh, arguments that we made so that you can articulate those in a very logical way so that you can help people understand that you do want to decrease violence, you do want to decrease death, but you just don't feel that these policies really achieve that and you have reasons to explain why you, why you feel that way. That's the main takeaway. That's what we're going for. So, you know, thank you everyone for listening in on today's episode. We'd love to hear any feedback or thoughts you have. You can always send an email to podcast at concealedcarry.com. Please don't forget if you haven't already, uh, or even if you have, if you want to do it again, you can go to iTunes and write us a new review. Uh, We love getting reviews there and and ratings. We really appreciate those. and It helps more people find our podcast. And for those of you who listen elsewhere, I know, I think Google now allows you to write uh, write reviews as well in Google Play. Uh, But we appreciate all our listeners. Make sure you Remember to always go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Every Tuesday, anyone who enters online is eligible to win our weekly podcast giveaway. So make sure you always visit that site and do that. Remember that today's episode is sponsored by our Father's Day sale. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Father's Day, no spaces, all one word, and you will see discounts anywhere from 15 to 25% on select items through Father's Day while supplies last. Matthew, thanks for being here with me, dude. Yeah, thank you, man. Awesome show awesome show. All right. Thanks everyone. Until next time, remember to train hard, train safe, and train often so you know it. Train, dang it. Train safe, train often, train right so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.